0: Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. The
1: Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme.
2: Good morning, and hope you remember to put your clocks back. It's Andy Marsh in for Steve Orchard once again. Now, this week we speak to the NFU on two topics. Firstly, the very worrying spread of bird flu. I
1: think we should be realistic about this. We're at. At the start of what's probably going to be the worst winter we've had with this disease
2: on a somewhat more positive note we hear about this wednesday's back british farming day
0: it's about celebrating everything that's produced in this country and the fabulous and amazing hard work that our farmers put in to make that happen
2: we also find out about the lincolnshire agricultural society's schools challenge plus of course the livestock report the grain market review agronomy and weather for the week ahead.
1: The week in agriculture. This is the farming program.
2: Well, as I mentioned last week, the spread of avian flu has become a real concern with major restrictions brought in almost two weeks ago. This week, more cases were discovered in Lincolnshire and, of course, throughout the country. I spoke to Andy Guy, the NFU's poultry advisor for the East Midlands. He says measures for bird keepers may be stringent, but they're stringent for a reason.
1: The rules were brought in on the 17th of October and they require, by law, anybody who keeps domestic birds, so poultry, ducks, geese, pheasants, anything like that, to take extra precautions to protect them from infection. So that means dipping their boots, keeping their vehicles clean, making sure that if they travel somewhere where there are other birds that they change their clothes and clean their boots before they go to visit their own birds, that kind of thing. It's really important because that's how we can protect flocks from infection.
2: And yes, we've already had a lot of outbreaks throughout the country, but you don't want any more, if at all possible.
1: I think we should be realistic about this. We're at the start of what's probably going to be the worst winter we've had with this disease. So, you know, this is not a matter of preventing any more. There are going to be some more. But what you might be able to do is protect your birds.
2: What's likely to be the impact? You say the the worst winter we've ever had, and that sounds pretty bleak, but I mean, just how bad could it be?
1: With good biosecurity, we can keep it to a minimum. The reality is wild birds are suffering from it as well now. Our indigenous wild birds, I should say. In, In previous years, it's come to our shores with migrating wild birds, mostly wildfowl, from northern Europe and Russia. And it's gone away with those birds as well. But this year we've seen infection which appears to be coming from our own birds. So. I think it's jumped from those migrating birds into our endemic local birds. That's the big problem that we've had this year. The temptation is to think, oh, it's not on my doorstep right now. But believe me, it really is. We've got cases all over the country at the moment and nobody should be feeling relaxed about this.
2: For those who are affected, obviously they have to kill their birds and there's certain stringent restrictions in place there. What about compensation? What happens specifically? There is
1: compensation for commercial birds that are cold because of the disease. In certain species, it's a horrific disease and has a very very high mortality rate most of the birds that catch it if they're susceptible species unfortunately that includes pretty much all of the domestically kept birds will probably die of the disease before the farmer has the opportunity to put them down humanely it's pretty horrific the compensation unfortunately only pays for the birds that are put down humanely and death for the Department for Food and Rural Affairs are responding as quickly as they possibly can to get to farms and domestic flocks as quickly as possible but the compensation not going to be great.
2: Does that therefore mean that you are expecting certain commercial operators may go under because of this?
1: NFU and other organisations are working hard to help them stay in business. But I have spoken to farmers who have decided not to restock their sheds because of the risk. Going to have a big impact on
2: the industry, I think. And what about the impact on consumers in terms of eggs and chicken, etc.?
1: We hear about huge numbers of birds being lost, but actually, in the big picture of things, it's a relatively small proportion of the flock. Fortunately, good biosecurity measures will protect the vast majority. So, I don't think we should be worrying the consumers about shortages of turkeys at Christmas and that sort of thing. I think we'll be okay, and the same applies to eggs. The other message I think that's important is that this is a, a disease of birds, not people. So, as long they're cooking their eggs and their chicken properly which is always the advice for chicken and uh, any meat and, and food they're perfectly safe to continue to eat it
2: thank you andy now this wednesday is back british farming day i spoke to rhonda thompson the nfu's county advisor for lincolnshire and I asked her to sum up exactly what the day's all about.
0: It's about celebrating everything that's produced in this country and the fabulous and amazing hard work that our farmers put in to make that happen.
2: And of course, times for some farmers have been very tough indeed, so it really is timely that we do show a little bit of promotion and a bit of backing to the farming sector.
0: It is. I mean, it's challenging across all sectors, whether you're looking at the arable or you're looking at livestock, and I think the fact that this is being hosted at Westminster. The MPs have the opportunity to come across and find out more and engage with farmers and with the National Farmers Union about the great works that our farmers do for food and the environment. It's a huge plus.
2: So you're showcasing uh, in Westminster, as you mentioned there, exactly what you're doing, some of the good work, but also it's a chance for you to get your views across to major decision makers as well.
0: Absolutely. You may have seen, and I'm sure the listeners will have seen, these fabulous Wheat Sheaf pin badges that uh, the NFU had made to celebrate back British Farming Day. And it's always a pleasure to see MPs and indeed Prime Ministers past and hopefully present Sporting them to show their support for British farming.
2: Is it generally about uh, saying we're here and we can do with celebrating, or are there certain specific things you'll be talking to MPs that you're looking for them to perhaps move on in terms of policy?
0: It would be timely to remind them about food security. It would also be timely to remind them about how much we do produce and that we've got the ability to produce more in this country if we had the support and also to remember the good work and and the stuff that we produce here when they are brokering trade deals with other countries.
2: You mentioned about uh, it's necessary to have certain support. Are there various things that you are looking for them to put in place or is it just the case that they have certain measures at the moment and you just want them to commit to those in the future?
0: There's huge Change. There's financial pressure across all sectors in the industry, but I mean there is across all business at the moment with the cost of living rising and obviously then the, the consumers are having the issues of, of finding affordable food. but the system of farm support that we have was being designed before we got into the pandemic and before we got into this current economic crisis would welcome that being reviewed so that uh, the support that gets to farmers can help them produce food, make a profit and make it affordable for the consumer.
2: And I'm guessing the day, generally speaking, is also a way of reminding the public that you are there. And uh, of course, you need their support as well to keep going.
0: Absolutely and we do get an awful lot of support from the British public and I think that they really appreciate particularly the pandemic. I think highlighted that farmers continued to work and do the best they could to deliver produce so that the supermarket shelves were kept full and, and I do think that we do have an awful lot of support. It's really an opportunity to engage with MPs who maybe aren't from rural constituencies and have never really got engaged before with the farming sector.
2: So you're going down to Westminster on Wednesday and you have a special guest with you as well.
0: I have my member from Laos, Ian Watson, coming with me. Ian was nominated for the NFU Community Farming Hero Award by Laos MP Victoria Atkins. He actually won the award for the whole of the East Midlands, so we are going down to celebrate that and for Victoria to actually give Ian the award at Westminster. Really, really looking forward to next week for lots and lots of reasons.
2: And my thanks to Rhonda. Time now for agronomy and let's say a very good morning to Sean Sparling.
0: Yes, very good morning
3: to you too, Andy. I can see from your tie that you've had an egg for breakfast. We could have done with you, mate, uh, running this programme earlier on this year through that drought because it's done nothing but rain since you took over from Stevie. Very good to see you, though, as ever, my friend. Right, short and sweet this week. Bit of a nothing week on the land thanks to the rain and the wind. I took 61 mil of rain from last Thursday when it started to Monday. And with that last few days' rain as well over these last couple of days and rain throughout the week, I think it's fair to say that it's now very wet underfoot. And when it's nearly too wet to even walk on these fields, it's fairly obvious that drilling and spraying is not going to happen for a little while yet. Mind you, 18, 19 degree day temperatures, soil temperatures increasing, coupled to all of that wet weather means that these crops are now growing quickly and emerging quickly. It also means there's a fair bit of herbicide uptake showing in these wheats, particularly as they're emerging where they were relatively shallow drilled, or where the pre-M coincided with that significant rainfall, as that flufenacet, DFF, clonifen, triolate, synmethylene, pendomethylene, etc., all washed down to the root zone and where these seeds were starting to germinate. The yellowing from things like DFF and flufenacet tends to be fairly transient. And as the plants put out their new growth, these new leaves should come out green. So it's just one of those things really. It can be a lot worse with shallow drilled crops and particularly where things like eclonifen, trilates and methylene are concerned. So that seed depth is really quite important Always best to get the seed in a good 40 millimetres if you're going to put a pre-em on. But getting it covered as well is absolutely crucial. And that's where we're probably going to see issues going forward. Because with the soils now as wet as they are, fine firm seed beds and good seed coverage by the soil is going to be much more difficult to achieve. So therefore, if you've got a lot of seed which is laid on the top, and that exposed seed makes up a significant proportion of the seed that you've just drilled, then you should expect similarly significant seed losses from those pre-M herbicides it's a bit of a trade-off really because if you've got a blackgrass site then obviously you've got to have your herbicides on pre-emergence of the blackgrass but if the seeds are exposed the wheat seeds exposed then you're going to compromise that establishment. There are also of course restrictions upon the applications to what would then be a technically broadcast crop so you know you can't guarantee a 40 millimeter seed depth or good seed covering so clearly increasing your seed rates depending on those seedbed conditions is going to be very important but you're also Going to need to increase that allowance for field losses in the seed rate calculation to make sure you've got enough seed which is likely to make it through. If the fields are that bad for blackgrass, by the way, if you can't be sure that the seed's going to be safe, it's going to be covered, and bear in mind that a cloddy seed bed is also going to be bad for blackgrass from another point of view because. If you can't get good enough, even coverage from these herbicides, then that blackgrass is going to come out from underneath the clods. It's going to come out from within the clods. And if that seed's also going to be at risk from slugs because you've created a very cloddy, open seed bed, as well as herbicide damage, then it's probably going to be best left drilled in the spring with spring barley or something. I know it might be too early to be talking like that and we are still in October after all but it is wet out here and it doesn't look like it's going to dry up particularly quickly anytime soon. Blackgrass already through in some of these early drilled fields even where things like synmethylene uh, went on in some cases so do think about topping up these preems. Several options Flufenacet, Prosulfacar, Pendamethalin so read the labels stay safe and do stay legal from the point of view of your timing the maximum total doses, the intervals between those applications as well. And as I said last week, if your pre-em hasn't gone on and the crop's emerging, make sure that you can still put them on legally. Clonifen, in Precluse, in Avidex XL, only have pre-emergence approval on the label. Synmethylene's slightly more flexible, but speak to your advisor. Slugs, they're starting to become more active since that rain. But with it still warm, the crops are outgrowing the leaf grazing damage. So do prioritise the rougher, cloddier seedbeds where the hollowing is more of an issue to you. There seem to be an awful lot of carabids as well, ground beetles out here too. And they're helping us. They're chomping away on the slugs as well. The first signs in all seed rate of light leaf spot in some all seed rate this week. Good weather for light leaf spot. And if you want to send plants away to check them for subclinical levels, non-visual levels, there are obviously things like swift detects and spot checking initiative. but there's always the cheap and easy chuck some oilseed rape leaves in a polythene bag with a bit of wet kitchen roll popped in as well. Pop it in the airing cupboard or in a similarly warm place for a couple of days and those lesions will appear if there is light leaf spot in those plants. Always best, of course, to know what you're dealing with, whichever way you go, whether you send it away or whether you pop it in the airing cupboard, but rather do that than just blunder in and go spraying for the sake of it, because it's also worth knowing that you will only ever get three weeks protection. You don't get control; you get protection from the light leaf spot spreading any further within the plant and the wider canopy. So, with conditions perfect for growth as they are now, with unseasonably warm weather, the wet weather, growy weather, a suitable light leaf spot fungicide will do some good if you're finding light leaf spot at threshold out here. But as things start to cool down and as the light leaf spot needs a certain temperature level in order to move then as we head into the cooler weather over the next few months the weather will hold it probably better than a fungicide will in that case so if you need to be on it now if it's there while it's warm less urgent once the winter sets in and always most urgently dealt with in the early spring as a disease because that's when it does its most damage as i say i'm not finding many of those telltale white dots on the leaf they look a little bit like icing sugar has been scattered over the leaf and I'm only just really in the last 10 days starting to see FOMA as well these beige spots with the black Pycnidia in them so do stay alert and treat if you need to do so the backward crops will be the highest risk from FOMA all high risk if you're finding light leaf spots still way too warm to be going putting kerb propizomide on even so more so than last week actually soil temperatures have increased just over 1 degree so they need to be falling in order for propizomide to go on so too soon to be thinking about that yet so as another week hurdles past, hopefully we'll have more to talk about next week hopefully better weather too so let's see what the next seven days bring
0: the farming program with our steel stockholders Withambrook industrial estate gransom for all your steel needs call their friendly experts
1: the week in agriculture this is the farming program
2: Now, the week just gone by has seen the launch of the School's Challenge in Lincolnshire. It's run by the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. It's very well established, but just in case you weren't aware of it... Here's Susie Stone, the Education Coordinator from the Society, to tell us all about it.
4: Basically, Schools Challenge is a project-based competition, so all schools and external clubs can select one of ten challenges that we develop, and they're all linked to the national curriculum cover topics such as food, farming, sustainability, the local community and the environment. So basically, schools work on the project within their school, with lots of support and advice along the way, But it all culminates at the Lincolnshire show itself in June next year, where they present their work and compete for Schools Challenge Champion.
2: And I'm guessing sort of several aims to this but the key one is education but also for it to be fun as well
4: it's a really great way of developing local learning uh, learning about Lincolnshire's rich agricultural history but also the soft skills of presentation resilience building teamwork and things like that it's a great project that schools can latch on to and develop their learning
2: i was reading a national survey recently that said uh, a lot of youngsters don't know even the basics of farming now i'm thinking, hopefully, in Lincolnshire that's not quite the case and people perhaps have more of an idea but you would like to get that more across and perhaps get a bit more depth to that.
4: That's our main sort of ethos for the education programme here at the Society and we want to make sure that children are understanding about where their food comes from, about the processes of farming because Lincolnshire is so culturally rich. Um, it's really a great opportunity for them to tap into that information and connect with different businesses that are so prominent
2: in the area. And what are you hoping that they will take away from from their experiences
4: not only do they get a fabulous um, rosette and potentially a um trophy to go along with it so it's a great credibility but it's it's the learning along the way it's a great project For anyone to get involved with, whether it's from very early years all the way up to secondary and sort of external clubs, anyone can get involved and it's just a fantastic way to embed that learning into the curriculum, but also enjoy the, the show itself. They get to come along to both days of the show to present their work to a panel of judges. They display their work and feel proud about it and enjoy all of the fun that the show has on offer as well.
2: And have you got one or two examples of things, projects that have been uh, put forward in the past that have particularly caught your interest? Just to give us a flavour of the sort of thing that people or young people have been doing.
4: For example, Branston cover a challenge called Lincolnshire Roots, and they've got uh, schools have got involved with sort of really developing a marketing campaign around a fresh produce product, which they kind of. Come under new branding for Branston, and they've had really great experience in contacting different media sources, visiting farms, talking to really key personnel, and coming with bells and whistles for the show. That it really is fantastic to see uh, what they actually produce sort of food tasting games quizzes great work on display it really is fantastic and we've got lots of new uh, challenges this year as well which is
2: exciting and obviously this is just launching but in the past what's the sort of response you've had for schools have there been a lot of schools come forward have they been very enthusiastic
4: oh completely we have um, schools that enter year on year out which is absolutely wonderful we love having them back each year and some of them really integrate it within their curriculum as like a whole year group or even a whole school uh, project which is fantastic to see such commitment to a programme. We also invite lots of new schools each year and have a really uh, great uptake which is fantastic. We actually take over the Centre on show days at the showground and it's a great building buzzing with atmosphere full of schools and uh, all their fa-
2: fabulous work which is lovely to see. And Susie how can schools get involved?
4: Well, all they have to do is pop over to our website, the Lancashire Showground, lincolstershowground.co.uk, or contact myself, S. Stone at LinkshireShowground.co.uk, come along to our launch event on the 1st of February to sort of find out more listen to valuable tips and advice with various speakers uh, we have lots of support across the year as well but just pop over an expression of interest form and we can go from there and hopefully um, welcome you to the show come June.
2: Thank you Susie next it's on to the livestock update from the Louth Livestock Market and it's a very good morning to auctioneer Oliver Chapman
5: Morning Andy, another weekly report from Here at Laos starting with a prime cattle which see steers all in average 265.5 pence per kilo. Heifers all in average 262.72 pence per kilo. All the prime cattle this week from one home topping for F Wallace and son with heifers at 267 pence per kilo and grossing £1,652. While the steers from the same home topped at 266 pence per kilo and grossed £1,460. Moving on to the cool cows and just a couple of non-farm assured pedigree Lincoln Red cows on offer from DR Garner Farming, topped at 178 pence per kilo or £1,177. That wraps the cattle up on a week where many more could be sold to Fence Advantage. Moving on to the sheep and starting with the prime lambs to SQQ at 238.42 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 234 pence per kilo, which again will put Louth Market in amongst the top prices. Pounds per head and pence per kilo this week are topped by P.S. Marsden and Son of Cold Hanworth, in the pounds per head section at £140 pounds per head and at 271 pence per kilo for overweight lambs. Moving to the cool ewes and a tremendous show again this week. So 159 sorted, penned and sold through the ring to leave an all-in average of £107.08. Which again puts us right up there as one of the top markets for selling ewes and sheep and all classes of sheep weekly. To top for H. Smith & Sons a Thedlethorpe at £158.00. Finally, just a couple of pens of store lambs which were pulled from the prime section, just not carrying enough flesh or weight to be classed as prime lambs. Topping for Shaw Brothers of Bimbrook at £66 per head to all in average £63.77. And It must be said both of those pens were long keep lambs. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Prime cattle, cool cattle, and prime and cool sheep are required for tomorrow's sale. And we're also having another sale, uh, Monday afternoon sale of store cattle, so entries are required for all sections. So please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you.
2: And with a grain market review, good morning, Open Fields' Kick Dickinson.
6: Well, good morning. The scramble to beat the Ukrainian export corridor deadline of the 21st of November intensifies with the armada of vessels queuing up to get in and get out. Ukraine is blaming Russia for dragging their heels on the vessel inspections, particularly in the EU. Vessels entering the corridor are checked for weapons, and many vessels are loaded with grain, being fumigated, causing further delays before they are passed as fit. It takes 15 to 20 days to get on the berth, and a further 15 to 20 days before they are free to sail. Hence talk that the cut-off date for the vessels entering the corridor is the 4th to the 5th of November. Or they risk getting stuck should the corridor close. Global demand has picked up with Turkey buying at prices which were described as a bloodbath. Saudi Arabia, Algeria, Pakistan and Iraq are also in the market, with black sea wheat being the cheapest origin in the nearby positions. It is the Ukrainian and Russian farmer that is being shortchanged once everybody has taken their slice of the pie in the race to get cargoes lifted. The AHDB released their early bird survey forecasting a UK crop of 15.664 million tonnes, basis a national yield which was the third highest on record and at the high end of expectations. The clock is ticking down on the grain corridor expiry date, which is the main focus of the trade. NATO has apparently weighed in, asking Putin to extend the corridor, which will only embolden him to put up his demands and remove the sanctions. Looking at barley this week, the AHDB report for this year's harvest confirms that the UK has a surplus of 1.27 million tonnes of barley, 37% up on last year. This is in line with the increased yields reported on spring molting barley, as we anticipated. In the best years, the UK has been able to export 400,000 tonnes of malting barley, so that leaves us with about 400,000 tonnes of surplus to liquidate. It could be that the increased use on farm feeding will account for some of this, but the AHD poor forecast for barley usage in the animal feed is due to be down by 196,000 tonnes, suggesting that most of the surplus will need to be exported, probably as feed, rather than malting. But if this is the case, the present £25-30 pounds malting premium will disappear, Most domestic UK molsters are now bought up to the April-May-June position. The carry, at £20 between the spot and May position, seems rather too high in this oversupplied market, which will surely erode further. Oilseed rape, this year's bumper EU crop and the potential of a record rapeseed crop worldwide has pressured prices in recent weeks. The lower price has helped the recovery of demand and the use of rapeseed in the EU biodiesel is expected to increase in 2022 to 2023, along with the use of the EU rapeseed oil in the food sector. It has also been projected that the EU and the UK rapeseed production for 2023-2024 will increase to 21.3 million tonnes, which is up 4% from last season, on a favourable weather and bigger acreage. Although rapeseed prices have fallen somewhat, prices are still attractive and there is good demand. Planting conditions across the EU were favourable, as it was reported, the rainfall since mid August mitigated the drought impact. The winter outlook suggests widespread warmth, near average precipitation, and no extreme cold events across Europe during December to February. This looks promising for the EU 23 to 24 rapeseed crop, but it is still very early days. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat for November is £260 to £269, February 264 to 271 and May 267 to 274 Looking further forward to November 23, new crop £250 to £260. Pounds. Milling wheat premiums are circa £40 to £50, pounds, dependent on quality. Feed barley for January, £240 to £246. March 242 to 248, and May 244 to 250. November 23, 220 to 226. And for all seed rate prices, please contact your local open field farm business manager. Thank you ever so much. The
2: Farming Programme Five Day Forecast. This week we'll see recent mild temperatures ending and more typical values for this time of year. Today it's cloudy but dry, fairly light winds and 16 Celsius the high. Very similar on Monday and also Tuesday, although maybe a degree or so cooler. Wednesday is brighter but colder, highs at 12. Thursday a chance of rain, highs at 11 then. And on Friday similar temperatures but it should remain dry.
1: The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme.
2: And that's it for this week. Thanks to all my guests. Next week we hear about the Crop Tech Farming Show as well as the regular features. I'll be in for Steve for a third and final time. Have a good week.
0: The Farming Programme, with our steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly
3: experts.